Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. So we are back with Charles Ortel. He's an investor and writer. He graduated from Horace Mann School, Yale College, and Harvard Business School. Mr. Ortel has been one of the leading voices in exposing the corruptions of the Clinton Foundation. And you can check out his work at charlesortel, O-R-T-E-L, dot com. Charles, uh, great to have you back with us on the eve of what's coming up this week with the election. Thanks so much, Stefan, for allowing me to come back. So new information, of course, we're looking to get out here. And you had talked about a memo that uh, came out recently. I wonder if you could help inform our listeners uh, of what's going on with that. Yes, I'm looking at it right here, Stefan. It's a memo from a, a lady named Kumiki Gibson, who is Al Gore's counsel, and then was in a senior position working for Elliot Spitzer for a time in New York State. This is a highly experienced lawyer, uh, great credentials, who apparently, it seems, was hired uh, either by Bruce Lindsay himself or by the Clinton Foundation or both, and who and tenders at, and with exhibits a 19-page memo on the 10th of November, 2008. Now, that's a very significant date. That's days after Barack Obama won his historic election, days after Democrats captured the House and the Senate. Um, and here's a memo that basically, in blunt terms, explains to the CEO of the Clinton Foundation that it is boldly out of compliance with the law. And I mean boldly out of compliance. And it goes on and on and on for 19 pages, uh, talking about uh, the fact that in New York State it's not compliance with the law, in multiple states it's not compliance with the law, that they may have, they have uh, all kinds of internal control failures. Six days later, on November 16, 2008, there's a version of the so-called Memorandum of Understanding that Valerie Jarrett signed according to a State Department transmittal in a Freedom of, Action, Freedom of Information uh, Act request to Judicial Watch. You can all find it up online. Uh, it states the polar opposite. It says Valerie Jarrett in the Clinton Foundation say everything's hunky-dory, we're fine, everything's beautiful. Six, so, so either Valerie Jarrett and Team Obama were deceived by Team Clinton, uh, or they knew about the true state of the Clinton Foundation six days after this memo, and then went down a path of negotiating to have Hillary serve as Secretary of State, hiding the true state of the foundation from New York State, hiding it from the senators, deceiving the senators in the confirmation hearing, and uh, going along their merry way entering into this agreement, the so-called Memorandum of Understanding, that had no legal force in effect. As we now know, it, had no, it was unsuccessful in restraining the Clinton Foundation from engaging in likely pay-for-play transactions, in solicitation fraud, in multiple states, in multiple countries, in operating fraud, in multiple states, in multiple countries. Um, this is just, uh, of all the many things that have come out of WikiLeaks, this is indefensible. And I'll tell you, I'm going to put on this podcast, people on notice, that the executives responsible for covering up this fraud and the trustees responsible for covering up this fraud will be the subject of massive civil action, whether or not uh, any state governments or foreign governments get involved here. This is diabolical, despicable behavior. And people need to be made an example of here, from Bruce Lindsay right on down, Cheryl Mills, Maggie Williams, 
Dennis Cheng, um, Andrew Kessel, the CFO, all these trustees, Chelsea Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, this is disgusting behavior. And it's been going on since 1997. This is a, this is a smoking gun memo. And, it, and I, I commend to the attention of your wide listener group, read this memo, then go read the Simpson-Thatcher memo, read a Maura Polly memo, and you will see that this has been a fraud since the inception. How many people around the Clinton Foundation, how many people at Williams & Connolly Law Firm, where Kumiki Gibson once worked, how many people at BKD, the accounting firm, and Price Waterhouse and DLA Piper either intentionally refused to do their work and look into this or found this and decided, for whatever reason, whether it's gaining political favor or business favor or whatever, to, co- to become part of the fraud? This is a, a tremendous, this is a trillion dollar, when you consider all of the legs of it, it is a multi trillion dollar ongoing, unprosecuted criminal conspiracy by the former president of the United States and his family, and by someone who seriously believes that she, based on her involvement with this fraud, should be president of the United States. Barack Obama was not able to bring these people to heel. If Hillary Clinton becomes president of the United States, this thing will never be brought to justice. Right. And what would the basis of a civil suit be against these executives, Charles? Well, uh, there are many different uh, bases. The first is that a, um, a public charity, which this is, and I want to draw an important distinction here, this is not Bill Gates giving his personal money uh, primarily to fund an operation. This is an entity which has depended on the, dependent, depended, sorry, on the uh, United States and individual state and foreign taxpayers to have the valuable franchise and right to solicit donations continually as they have done, using the Internet, using telephones, using mails, and to take this money in and to spend it, in theory, uh, for its authorized purpose, without having to pay taxes on any positive differences and on any accumulated values of any endowments or assets. So this is a very valuable right that the Clinton Foundation has had since October 23, 1997. And they have grossly abused that right. They have caused the uh, federal and state and foreign taxpayers to suffer real damages. And if the cowardly members of the establishment in both parties are not willing to go after these people and recoup the massive sums that have been taken from our various state, federal, and foreign treasuries, then there are mechanisms out there where people like me and others can sue and and attempt to get this money back on behalf of the citizens of the, of the country in certain cases on behalf of the citizens in certain states. This is despicable behavior, and it's not done by rubes. It's not done by people who could say, well, you know, this was way above my head, and I didn't really, you know, know what I was doing here. This is done by people. One, one person was the attorney general of the state of Arkansas, the governor of the state of Arkansas, the president of the United States. Another person from the same Yale Law School, was a, was a, a senator representing the state of New York. She should know the state of New York laws. This has boldly been controlled from the state of New York without actually complying with New York state laws. And then she served as secretary of state. Now she wants to be president of the United States. You cannot behave in this fashion. People uh, you know, with much smaller exposures and vulnerabilities have been sent away to prison for long periods of time for far less. This is outrageous behavior, and shame on the mainstream media 
for deciding that it was much better to play along with this mess from October of 1997 than to do the kind of work made famous by Woodward and Bernstein and others. Shame on the New York Times. Shame on the Washington Post. Shame on CNN. Shame on ABC and CBS and NBC. This is outrageous behavior. Well, and this is the frustrating thing that, of course, for most of Western history, the goal uh, of all moralists, or at least all reasonable moralists, has been to ensnare and capture the elite and place them under the rule of law. Uh, to this, the king, of course, was originally above the rule of law, appointed by God, and could do what he wanted, uh, according to many of the political theories of the day. And the idea of of bringing the rulers under the rule of law was fought for for hundreds of years. Millions of lives were given in the service of it. And it feels like the rulers are breaking free of that. And, of course, the peaceful way to rein in the rulers is through the media. But the media, as you point out, Woodward and Bernstein, well, they were going against the Republican, right? They were going uh, against uh, Nixon. And so there is that aspect that the Democrats tend to protect Democrats. A lot of people in the mainstream media are Democrats. And also they want access. Uh, you know, the, the media has become basically um, the, the government hands out press releases or gives access and gives interviews. The media ask a bunch of softball questions, and then they call it um, being, being in journalists. So I think the combination of Democrats protecting Democrats plus the need for access uh, or maybe the feeling that it's too complicated to explain to people, but I don't think it is, uh, maybe that's what's keeping the media uh, at bay in this area because uh, I'm pretty sure if it was a Republican, it would be a pretty juicy story that they pursue with great energy. Well, you know what I'm finding on this amazing journey um, is that actually there's, I think, a, a realignment going on in America and perhaps in global politics where elements of uh, the right, and I would consider myself to be conservative economically, so on the right economically, but open-minded socially. So people like me uh, exist, I think, in the former Republican Party and in the former Democratic Party. And on certain issues, for example, the emergence of a national security state perpetually at war with the world, uh, people on the right and on the left, on the hard left, are finding common cause. I mean, I find myself amazing. I've got to tri give tribute now to somebody who's become a new friend. There's a, a fine lady called Utrice Lead, who has a, been a longtime anchor with Pacifica, which is the, you know, the leading progressive radio station and, uh, complex. And she's had me on her show for an hour a day, for days on end, talking about this. And we come at life very differently, very different backgrounds, very different views. But here, in fine, we find common cause because progressives and conservatives, people who are not you know, locked into the establishment, big party system, can look at charity fraud, and we can say jointly, charity fraud, whether perpetrated by a right-leaning charity or a left-leaning charity, is disgusting behavior. You're taking advantage of uh, people who deserve real help selfless help and you're holding yourself out of, around the world as being this fantastic team as a philanthropist what in fact what you're doing is you're raping and pillaging in the desperately poor parts of, uh, of the world in our country you're using a charity and your supposed service as arguments for why you should hold the most powerful political position on earth and the incurious people who are begging for scraps when I look at some of these Wikipedia emails and I look at the way in which uh, the team Clinton boxed in and, 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 and changed stories and, you know, manages po the so-called PolitiFact, which is a garbage organization. Uh, I, I look at the way they were treated by the Clintons. 
The Clintons have no respect for the mainstream press. They're probably laughing at all these people in the mainstream press. And this is not the way. The mainstream press is supposed to stand up for the public at large. Supposed, as you say, to try to keep the leaders uh, you know, in check. To ask the tough questions that the cronies don't want to have asked. That's what our press is supposed to do. And our press has been asleep at the switch for a long, long time. And it's people like you, Stefan, who are gaining traction around the world. It's an honor to be on your show. I see how actively you're followed. Uh, and, you know, there are people like you uh, who, are, who are shaming the mainstream press. I mean, I, I, now that I see this memo, you know, I had one meeting with somebody at the New York Times who will remain nameless. I gave them chapter and verse on this. You know, this is far bigger than Watergate. This is far bigger than Tammany Hall. This is a disgusting mess. And it is, uh, you know, anybody who could pull the lever now for the, the Clinton machine, having read Namiki Gibson's memo on November 10th, 2008, and looking at the state, the true state of the Clinton Foundation, and understanding how many billions of dollars they have, in theory, declared that they raised after this fraud was known to the top people at the Clinton Foundation, you know, should they should lose their right to vote. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that you would countenance getting and allowing these people. I wouldn't let these people run the French fry machine in a McDonald's, which I think actually is act pretty tough to run, uh, let alone the one burger restaurant, let alone have prosecutorial discretion, you know, in the most powerful nation on earth. This is a ridiculous. And let's talk a little bit about the bombshell, of course, that came out recently, which is uh, James Comey reopening the investigation. And I know that that's a lot to do with classified information. And uh, there are people who say that's a bit of a red herring compared to what really is going on in terms of corruption, which is the uh, Clinton Foundation. Although I'm sure the people whose lives depend upon the retention uh, of security information might view it uh, differently. But one of the things that uh, I suspect um, there's no proof as yet, although there have been rumors that uh, in the 650,000 emails that the NYPD uh, and the um, uh, the FBI are coming through at the moment, they found some pretty heinous stuff. But to reopen an investigation and to announce it shortly before a presidential election regarding one of the candidates is such an unprecedented step and such an escalation. I have to think that they found something in there that perhaps they're not allowed to talk about or perhaps the Department of Justice is pushing back very hard uh, on them talking about. But they have found something, I believe, so heinous that the best they could do was shoot up this flare uh, and say, in, in sort of code, you know, we're reopening this, we're, we're talking about this publicly. We can't talk about what's in it, but um, for anybody with any brains, it's it's a pretty red flag of what's going on. And of course, there could really be stuff in there about the Clinton Foundation that might blow this investigation wide and accelerate it enormously. Well, I think I know, uh, I could suspect or hazard a guess as to what uh, elements of why they may have done this. So to take this, to unpack that uh, analysis a little bit, um, the thing that I find fascinating and gratifying to learn is that while you're absolutely correct, Comey did wind down uh, the public corruption side of the investigation, July 5th, 2016, we learned in recent days that the investigation into the Clinton Foundation by the FBI has been ongoing for months. is is very broad in scope. So I'm very pleased to learn that because I think that that investigation ultimately is the one that is going to bring these people to justice. I uh, Last year when I started thinking about this, I, I, I 
got to meet Peter Schweitzer. I talked to him about it a little bit, and I tried to explain to him that the public corruption side, the idea that while Secretary of State, uh, the Clinton family was basically trading access and ability to influence the federal government and perhaps foreign governments for the benefit of themselves and for donors. That's, you know, that's diabolical stuff, but it's much tougher to prove that than it is to prove charity fraud. The laws governing charity fraud, I've been advised by uh, consulted lawyers, et cetera, are, are different. They're purposefully written to make it easier to bring a charity to heal. You're not supposed to engage in any for-profit activities through the operation of a charity or political uh, um, activity. So um, to win a prosecution, um, all you have to do is sick the attorney general of any one of our states and uh, ideally the IRS, but we know now with the state of the IRS, it's going to be tough to do that until after the election. Um, you sick, uh, you open a real investigation, and there is a review apparently uh, out of the Dallas office of the IRS that's been ongoing since July, thanks to the great efforts of Marsha Blackburn, the congressperson from Tennessee, who brought this to light. Um, you, once the, uh, the IRS goes after a charity, and once the FTC, which has declined to go after a charity, in this case, goes after the charity, you don't want to be in that place because the burden of proof actually falls on the charity to prove that it is in compliance with laws. And if, for some reason, this charity has destroyed old records, they're just done. They're guilty. They have to prove that they have been validly organized and operated at all times since inception, and I don't think they can do that. So, you know, this, is, this has been a case that has taken uh, a lot of time to move forward because there hasn't been the political will here to let um, the levers get pulled and let the investigators go where they're going to go, I think, now, now that this memo's come out, now that the masses come out, and now that people are seeing with their own two eyes just how crooked this thing is, we're going to learn that a lot of people in the Bush wing of the Republican Party in the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, in the Obama wing of the Democratic Party, that a lot of people here have looked at this not as an odious mess that needs to be punished, but as something that can be emulated as an opportunity to, to, you know, to work the system to their personal and political benefits. And there's going to be a lot of egg on face here because uh, as we proceed with this, the donors, the private foundations, the Gates Foundation, the Bloomberg Philanthropies, uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. There are quite a few different foundations. The Eichner, uh, Fred Eichner's Alpha Wood Foundation. Many of these pub- private foundations have have either failed to do the work that is required here before you make it, that is legally strictly required. Uh, they've either failed to do the diligence to understand just how much of a fraud this was, or they figured it out and knowingly contributed to a fraud illegally writing their uh, wire transfers or, or checks or whatever off as donations to a charity when, in fact, this was not a legally organized and, and operated set of charities. And the penalties that the IRS, the discretion that the IRS has and has used against charities are awesome. I mean, if the IRS, if, uh, you know, whoever wins here, but if, let's say, Donald Trump were to win the presidency and he wanted to find a way to close the federal budget deficit by an enormous amount of money, he would he could cause each of the, these foundations to be audited, or at least to be reviewed, and and then the normal processes could proceed, and one could could find a way to take tens of billions of dollars away from some of these private foundations 
that have failed to do the work they're supposed to do to help the IRS make sure that the, that the charity sector is operated pro- properly. Getting back to the point of you know the kinds of things that, that, that may come out of this, there's a reference in this memo to a problem at the Clinton Foundation with its intern program, its unpaid interns who are being, in according to the memo, promoted to levels well above their experience and doing international travel that maybe they shouldn't have been doing, and there's a reference, a throwaway reference to a lawsuit that wouldn't have happened. And then the, the person who wrote the memo, um, Kamiki Gibson, there's a guy, the Daily Caller, Mark Tapscott, who's a fine investigative journalist, points out in a piece out recently that she, she uh, talks about how she defended the Clinton Foundation against a lawsuit relating to its intern program. wonder what that's all about. Hmm. Now, one of the scenarios... Um of course, that is uh, being put forward is that um, Donald Trump gets in, and this seems to be more and more likely, in my opinion. So Donald Trump gets in, uh, but in the interim period, uh, Obama uh, issues a blanket pardon for uh, Hillary. uh, And my understanding, I mean, I know neither of us are lawyers, but my amateur understanding is uh, it's not a magic spell that that absolves you of all possible legal complications. Uh, he, he, the president can only pardon a federal crime, not a state crime or any kind of foreign crime. And of course, there are lots of other people who would need pardons as well, because it is quite a, a nest uh, of um, corruption uh, that seems to be sort of festering at the center of all of this. Do you think that there is this magic get out of jail free card, or is there going to be limitations on the kind of absolution that can be provided by Obama on his uh, exit? Well, I would say that all actions have consequences. And here, you know, ironically, life is imitating life. Uh, in the final days of the Clinton presidency, what got uh, Bill Clinton, uh, you know, let's just say a rebuke across the political spectrum, was his most unwise pardon of a diabolical man, Mark Rich, and his business partner um, at the last minute. And, and the record shows Joe Conison uh, has written a book, which is actually a pretty well-written book, I think, and it's, he's got a different perspective than perhaps Stefan, you and I have on life, but he's a great writer. And he, he, there are a lot of vignettes that are quite interesting, and unfortunately for Mr. Conison, uh, get him into get the Clinton Foundation in tremendous difficulty because it it it's it's almost it reads like a confession of charity fraud, but it explains in that book in many places just how difficult it became for the Clinton Foundation to raise money. So um, donors don't like potential donors do not like to get associated with this type of scandal. So I would have the following message to Barack Obama, who I'm sure does not listen to me. But before you do anything with regard to a pardon. You might want to have a discussion with your daughters about this and your wife about whether you really want, you're, you've announced that you want to raise your own foundation. You've got a project here, $500 million to $700 million you want to spend and raise, raise and spend, I should say, uh, to put up a new, yet another building, set of buildings that have to be heated and cooled and insured and taxes need to be paid on them uh, in Chicago. You want to erect a new complex, and you haven't raised the money yet, at least as far as the most recent filings for your own foundation, the Barack Obama Foundation, the most recent ones that are out there show that you've raised so far $5 million. If you were to, to, to attempt, if you were to go so far as to pardon everybody associated with this criminal conspiracy, and I don't know how many people that is, I think it encompasses all former and current trustees of all of the activities of every single part around the world of the Clinton Foundation, 
I think it encompasses many employees. I think it encompasses many accounting firms and legal firms. If you were to issue a blanket pardon uh, of federal crimes, even that would not insulate all these people against state and foreign actions or civil actions. So that's not a very smart thing to do. And the one thing you would certainly, that would certainly have happened as a result of doing that is you will never raise the $500 million to $700 million you need to finish your, your foundation. So I think that's a very unwise move. Now, it doesn't mean you won't try it. Uh, I mean, this president has gone you know, far outside the Constitution, in my view, not as a lawyer, just as somebody who tries to follow these issues. And I appreciate your bringing up the long contest between the leader and the citizen that actually goes well back before the Magna Carta and the Charter of Liberties in 1100 and you know, on and on, way, way back. It's a lifelong probably a perpetual struggle that will be continuing hundreds and thousands of years after we're gone, that people who get close to the center of power decide to reach for ever more power. Well, we have a constitution in this country, and, uh, you know, let's hope we can still keep it here. (laughs) Now, one thing that um, I was kind of curious about, and and I couldn't find a good explanation of the details, but I think it just came out in the last day or two, that uh, the Clintons, or one of the Clintons, uh, I assume it was Bill, but received a, a million dollars from the Qatar government. And um, this was not reported to the State Department or the, to the government. And that was, of course, one of the deals was that uh, to be Secretary of State, uh, Hillary, as far as I understand it, she had to uh, provide uh, information about foreign donations to the foundation and, and to whoever might be receiving it. That seems like a pretty significant uh, oversight. It's not like you, oh, that million dollars. I'm so sorry I forgot it. Maybe I left it under the couch. I mean, that's such a big amount of money that would there not be some intent to uh, keep things hidden if that's not reported? Well, yeah, and that's, you know, that's a really serious one. So full disclosure, um, I was one of the signatories uh, on various letters uh, that were called the Stop Qatar Now Movement. So I am more than modestly familiar with the odious state of Qatar. That is, it is a monarchy. It is controlled by one family. It is uh, proud to be a supporter or has been proud to be a supporter of some of the most uh, viciously um, anti-Western rhetoric coming out of a supposed Muslim cleric. Um, it, it, this, is, this is not just any old state. This would be like taking money from Adolf Hitler, as far as I'm concerned. And, um, you know, obviously they didn't want to report it, because what was going on in 2010 and 2011, or for that matter, 2009, 10, and 11, and afterwards, was that the Obama administration, and under Hillary Clinton's direction as the primary architect of our, and implementer of our foreign policy, um, ally after ally across the Middle East was being brought down long-standing ally in Egypt, a country I started going to first when I was 19 years old in 1975, um, you know, uh, is uh, a long-time ally, ally was unwisely brought down by uh, Clinton and Obama foreign policy, and the Muslim Brotherhood was put into power uh, in Egypt. And look what happened there. Look what has to, had to happen in the end. So, of course, they didn't want this million-dollar gift, um, uh, you know, in focus in their filings. Now, there is a journalist in the mainstream named Mark Greenblatt, who's with the E.W. Scripps uh, company, and he has written some important stories 
about failures the Clinton Foundation has had to, to report properly under New York law. In New York here, um, the laws are tougher than in other states, many other states, and you've got to fill out not only the form for the IRS, but a special New York form in which you are required to disclose exactly who and why and the amounts of all government donations, foreign and domestic. And you can't lump it in and just say, I got a million from Qatar. You have to say the address, the purpose, the amount. And if you've got three gifts that added up to a million, you've got to list each of those out. And you've got to reconcile on the state form the uh, government uh, donations to a line on the IRS form, where you're, which you're supposed to fill out of your total government donations. And the Clinton Foundation, to this day, here in 2016, still has not complied with that requirement, which came in, in New York, came into full force and effect in 2004. So none of their filings in New York are lawful, none. And the penalties, in theory, are strict. You know, Schreiderman, or, so the, our attorney general, several months, weeks ago, you know, to great fanfare, announced that he'd open an investigation into Donald Trump's charity forms over a $1.5 million issue. These are, this is not just the million from Qatar. This is a multi-billion dollar issue. And he's just saying, ah, it's okay. You know, we're going to go after Trump, but we're not going to go after Clinton. Right. So what, what I find astounding, I mean, a lot of this stuff, of course, remains in the realm of, um, to some degree, um, un, it's unproven allegations and so on. And I'm, I'm f- perfectly aware of all of that. You know, I'm, I'm fine with innocent until proven guilty. However, uh, you know, and, and I know that this is dangerous territory just in terms of um, what I just said. But the number of scandals surrounding the Clintons, the number of investigations surrounding the Clintons are pretty unprecedented. This sort of power couple that has been weaving in and out the gray edge, uh, edges of the law for uh, close on uh, well, th- or more than three decades, I guess, by now. People are going to go uh, on, on Tuesday and uh, decide who is going to be the next president of the United States. And um, this would probably be the last time you and I talk before that day. And I wanted to give you the platform to just uh, say uh, give the information that not, is not coming through from the mainstream media um, that, that people really, really need to hear. I mean, you've got uh, an audience of you know, maybe half a million people. Uh, and, and what is it that you want them to know about and what considerations do you want them to keep in their mind when it comes to Tuesday? Well, I think, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I, I, I think that we are now here in November 2016 at a pivotal moment in, in global history. We have in this country, in the U.S., a country that has a strong franchise and a deep tradition, but we have tenuous finances. We have uh, been adding to our debt uh, monstrously. We have been allowing the political class and the establishment to dispense favors to the elites that may enrich some of them, but certainly have left all Americans, whether right or left-leaning, much poorer, and now in a position where we have to pay back these debts. We have, in addition, uh, gone from being unchallenged as the only superpower on the planet back in 1992 uh, to, to being uh, tested by some friendly rivals and, you know, aggressively so by radical Islamic people. This is not a moment where the American public can go to the polls, pull a lever, and say, all right, now it's up to whoever wins to f- solve the problems. This is, I think, a pivotal point where we've got to get engaged. The founders originally uh, viewed the government they had bequeathed to us as a participatory government, a participatory republic. The people who 
filled the different positions in our government were supposed to be citizen legislators, citizen governors who would return to the private sector. They weren't supposed to be a perpetual political class who, you know, would never be held to account and would be able to lead the kind of caviar and champagne and private jet lifestyles that the Clintons love so much, even when they can't find a way to pay for it lawfully. So this is a moment where we've got to really dig deep into our souls. We've got to forget about um, issues that are annoying, but maybe not uh, dispositive, and ask some simple questions. To go, to going forward here, what do we need? Do we need a leader or a proven set of liars? Do we need uh, a burglar, as the Clintons appear to be, or a builder? And can we, can we leave this just to Donald Trump alone, or do we need to stay in the movement and the moment and stay engaged and stay in the process of holding the political class and, and the bureaucrat class to account. We don't need slogans. We don't need you know, fancy advertisements. We need results. The biggest expenditure that all Americans are, are, that are spent on our behalf is the cost of government. When you take it all into account, state, local, federal, it's $6 trillion a year is spent in our names and uh, on the backs of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. To what purpose? Things have changed radically since 1998. You know, we don't need the same old approach to life. Why are political parties relevant? We don't need to go through the conventions and the primaries and all this kind of stuff. We need governments that actually take our money and fix things. We need to think to the extent we're going to meddle around the world. You know, you could say Donald Trump has no experience in government. I think that's a plus. <laughs> you know, I mean, we look at our foreign policy accomplishments and really Republicans and Democrats alike point to one place in the world where America is better off in 2016 than we were in 1992. You know, I, I maybe, you know, some island in the South Pacific, but I mean, in the important places in the world, we are almost in a shooting war with Russia in many locations. We're at loggerheads with China in many locations. Uh, Europe is breaking up. Uh, you know, the situation in South America is, the, is a disaster. The situation in the Middle East is a disaster. Refugees are streaming out of the Middle East into Europe just at a moment in time where Europe has its own challenges. I mean, how can we say with a straight face that Americans, you know, our American foreign policy experts and economic experts know anything? And Lord help us on the flip side, you know, should the Clinton team actually make it across the line, we're told that Bill Clinton is going to revitalize the American economy in the same way that he revitalized Haiti. <laughs> well, or in the same way that he claimed uh, to revitalize the American economy because he happened to be riding on a Fed fueled tech bubble uh, by accident, you know. <laughs> It's, exactly. uh, it's very strange for true. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, we'll, we'll link to the uh, this, the uh, memo that you have mentioned about it. People should go down and read it in the notes to the show. Um, and remember, please uh, go to charlesortel.com. Uh, and we'll also put uh, Charles's Twitter handle uh, in the description uh, for the show so that you can follow him. We've got fascinating stuff to talk about. Really appreciate the work. I mean, I know it's a, it's a passion uh, for moral clarity and um, – perhaps even repercussions for wrongdoers. Uh, and I appreciate hugely the passion and clarity that you brought to this. We've got a lot of messages when we have you on the show saying, I didn't understand it. I understand it now. So thanks for taking the time uh, and explaining it so clearly to people. 
Thank you for having me on, Stefan. Best wishes. Take care.